0: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML, Prime Minister Trudeau became the first Western leader to acknowledge that uh, he, we, he hasn't heard them, but all uh, the country has now recordings of the killings of Jamal Khashoggi. How does that change the discussion? Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, and with us now, Elliot. Thank you for the time, much appreciated.
1: Always a pleasure, Scott.
0: Elliot, before we get started on uh, the Khashoggi case and an update with that. We've been asking, we were talking about the first hour of the show. Uh, first of all, I can't ever remember talking about a Remembrance Day ceremony after the Remembrance Day. It seems we do it, we move on, uh, lest we forget, promise never to make those mistakes again, and off we go. It seemed different this year, certainly centered around the speech by the French president calling out nationalism and, and, and certainly uh, how dangerous it can become and, and past demons rearing their heads. Your thoughts on this Remembrance Day, did it seem different from that point?
1: Well, it is different in that it's the 100th anniversary of the end of yep. the First World War, and, and that huge gathering of world leaders in France, where then Macron spoke, uh, certainly makes this one different from others. It, just the magnitude, the reminder of that horrible war, that war to end all wars, and you know everybody's going to be home by Christmas, and it turned into such carnage so that, uh, yes, it's different this year for that reason. And what's interesting is that Macron definitely specifically linked his speech to that, uh, the, the rise of the, thing, the war, uh, not just the first war, but the second war as well, saying, look, nationalism has been released again. Nationalism is not patriotism. I'm a patriot, he said. Patriots... Uh, stand for their country and believe in their country, and I will do that as President of France, but nationalism is is so much an us against them, and it, it led to the kind of passions that led to the war, the first world War and the second world war and he of course, has domestic uh, opposition from the populist. He says it by the way, he doesn 't like the word populist, he said that means those parties are with the people, Marine le Pen in this case. Inside uh, France, but all across Europe, there's the rise of these parties called populist, which he's calling nationalist. Mm-hmm. Don't call them populist. That means they're with the people, and we're not. And that's not the case. We are with the people. Uh, they are, they are reviving the kinds of passions that led to the terrible First and Second World Wars.
0: Did his speech resonate with world leaders?
1: One never knows. I doubt it resonated with Donald Trump, uh, who, and this was specifically, I think, tailored to address Donald Trump's recent assertion, assertion saying I am a nationalist and the America first uh slogan which Donald Trump has used was also used by the way leading up to those to the conflict of the Second World War it was American firsters that kept America from from taking steps between the two wars to act effectively so there's a, a lot of resonance that Macron was referring to, and very specifically, Donald Trump.
0: Does that resonate with Americans? Does that resonate, especially with veterans? Uh,
1: that's difficult to know. America is large and a universe unto itself, and how much that goes on overseas will be yeah. reflected at home. Uh, how much do they even hear that kind of thing back? Back when America's um, media is caught up in so many issues constantly that the outside world probably gets drowned out.
0: Uh, how do you think he felt Donald Trump walking away from this? In what sense? Well, again, you know, we were talking earlier about going to Remembrance Day ceremonies, but something in this part of the world, how can you not be moved by what has happened there? Do you think that resonated with him at all? I mean, he... He, he read see- his
1: speech well. We had teleprompter Trump. Uh, reading a prepared speech in a very sober way. He was not flamboyant. He did, as you know, as he was landing, fire off a a blast at Macron uh, on Twitter uh, based on a misunderstanding of what Macron has said. Uh, He he misheard and never bothered to check uh, before blasting away the host (laughs) where he was about to go meet. I mean, this is fairly typical behavior, I guess. But, uh, no, I, I... one never knows if the capacity for empathy, which is constantly questioned with him, in this case might have sunk in, given the enormity of the numbers that, of dead and the carnage that was, that was constantly drawn to his attention. How much of that he internalized? One never knows.
0: Hmm. All right, let's move on and uh, talk about Prime Minister Trudeau becoming the first Western leader to acknowledge that his country has, uh, that we have recordings of the killings of Jamal Khashoggi. Does that mean that the others don't, or we're just the first to say so?
1: Well, what's interesting is that uh, the, big, the big picture here is, if the big picture in, a, in, one, in an intermediate way, responding to this particular news story as part of the bigger picture, this is another escalation by Turkey in its ongoing uh, confrontation with Saudi Arabia. That is, Turkey has been the sole source of these kinds of uh, bits and pieces of information that ke- keep coming out. Turkey now has taken one more step, so it's part of a, an ongoing, I suppose, campaign by Turkey. They didn't have to release any of this information, and everything we know about the Khashoggi case comes really from Turkey. What they've done in this case is specifically release, released audio tapes Uh, that they've had in their possession, that they played for the director of the CIA, Gina Hespel, who speaks Turkish. She served in Turkey, as the station chief there some years ago. Now it's been released not to Canada, uh, but to a group of other countries. But that includes the U.S. and the U.K., and we're members of the Five Eyes uh, intelligence-sharing community. Uh, Canada's very privileged to be part of the Five Eyes. So perhaps that's how we got the information. Mm -hmm. It was not given to us, as near as we can tell, nor has the prime minister said he's actually heard the tapes, but he's relying on people who would had, which means our intelligence services.
0: So what's Turkey's objective by selectively and timely releasing little bits of information like this?
1: I believe this is an underexplored area of all this. We've been so caught up with the horrendous uh, facts of the case that standing back and saying, what's Turkey up to and why, I think has been under analyzed And I'm not content. I've got a, a good enough picture on that. Turkey is not known as a great friend and protector of journalists. On the contrary, they're always listed and have been for years as among the top group of people, uh, states in the world, that does not lend protection. And to the contrary, that's been arresting their journalists. It's been a hazardous place for their own journalists. So they've emerged as a great... Uh, great uh, champion of journalism in this case, but what they are really is a great um, opponent of Saudi Arabia up to a point. So this is part of the internecine, murky politics of the Middle East, which Mm -hmm. has historically and for millennia really been a a primary contest between the Arabs, the Turks, and the Persians, now the Iranians. So what we see is a manifestation of that, in this fashion of that competition and it has an awful lot to do with who's going to be on top and the dominance and there's also i think a, a muslim brotherhood connection here uh, which again gets very murky the turkish government is something like a, a, a muslim brotherhood kind of government and that puts them in odds against egypt to, who disposed theirs and khashoggi apparently Uh, shared Muslim Brotherhood tendencies at one point or another, and on it goes. And Syria and the reconstruction of Syria, so the politics of the Middle East, which are extremely difficult to to, um, follow in any detail because so much of it is subterranean, certainly is playing a factor in what Turkey is up to.
0: How does this move forward, especially with the prince being so tied to this team that was there?
1: This is a... Saudi Arabia, to come back to what their, their role has been, they clearly are in command here of this uh, steady revelation, one after the other, after the other. But they've been very careful themselves not to go so far that they break relations with Saudi Arabia. Uh, the, the, Turkey, the Turkish leader has actually talked to the king, King Salman, and said, really, we don't, we don't hold you responsible senior people are responsible, but not you, meaning his son, but not the king. So uh, Saudi Arabia, in this sense, is much like the rest of the world saying, uh, very specifically France and the U.K., for example, saying, we definitely want to hold whoever is responsible responsible. We want to thorough investigation, but we don't want to destabilize Saudi Arabia itself. And if the crown prince, who's the acting leader of Saudi Arabia, is involved, that would perhaps lead to a a destabilization. So again, we're back to the the politics of the region, now the geopolitics relating to the outside world, and Canada's part of that. So Mm. we, uh, as you know, have been saying very carefully, we definitely want to get to the bottom of this. Uh, We are working with our allies, and this is repeated over and over uh, again by the prime minister. We will work with our allies to find out uh, the truth on this, uh in the United States there's something called the Global Magnitsky Act and that and the UK has one and we have the same act here, a very similar one. Uh but Canada is not at the moment talking about employing that, even though a bipartisan group in the United States is doing so, telling the American president, you've got the tools to punish people and you could say that at least these eighteen people who are named, they can be cut off from access to the US financial markets and they can be named and shamed. Canada has, is exploring that. We have it as a tool, but I don't think we've taken that step yet.
0: Is the world going to buy that, that, that he had nothing to do with or knowing about what the other 18 were up to? Well, um, I mean, is anybody going to buy that?
1: It's a political choice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you and I can have our own views on that. Right. Uh, but what does a state do right. in dealing with a very powerful state in the Middle East that has acted in this fashion. So
0: in other words, they don't care what the answer is as long as we get an answer and we can continue on with business.
1: Well, this is, this is we're perhaps at a, a, a crux. Yeah. Are we going to, in fact, follow exactly what we've just said? Uh, Canada has said, for example, and this is, we're a microcosm. You could take our relationship as an example of a much broader uh, set of relationships. We have an arms sale deal. It's worth $15 billion. It's going to create a... Many jobs, thousands of jobs, it said, although we, well, we don't know how many, of good middle-class paying jobs uh, in Canada. And do we want to jeopardize, jeopardize that? And Canada has said, the current government has said, look, the previous government signed that, but we stick to our deals. <laughs> Canada can't be known as a country that, that signs contracts and pulls yeah. out. So this is, this is really a microcosm of how the US has de- how the world has dealt with the Middle East for a very long time. Uh, so does the
0: rest of the world turkey does the rest of the world wish Turkey would either tell the story or uh, fish or cut cut bait to put it uh, politely does, I mean come on let 's solve this let 's move on. What does the rest of the world think about what turkey's doing? Are yeah, we talking about
1: handling? states or are we talking about human rights groups which are calling for yeah. the United Nations yeah. to act and to investigate so it depends what you mean by world anybody who cares about human rights and civil rights here's here's a couple points that I think needs to be made as a result of everything we're seeing we don't know where it's going to go the strong strong pressure is on uh... let's find a way to get around this and carry on because saudi arabia is so important geopolitically and most important for oil so let's find a way and be, everybody got vested interest in the status quo But there's two things i think that possibly good things that could come out of this bad situation the first is that the culture of impunity which has been so rampantly vividly uh, played out before us. Yeah, we can go into another country and we can kill people and dismember them and maybe, you know, dissolve them in acid. And it's okay. And the generals in Burma and Myanmar and Mm. all around the world, there's a culture of impunity. You can get away literally with murder, with mass torture, with human rights abuses. Maybe we're seeing a crack in the culture of impunity. No, really, this time Saudi Arabia, you can't, away with it. You might at least have to give us some sacrificial lambs, you know, your 18 people that you've got there. The second thing that might come out, uh, Scott, that is positive out of this, is that the war in Yemen is coming into focus. This is a Saudi-backed, uh, perhaps it's a, something of a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Remember the, what I said earlier, this ongoing conflict in, in the region over between those powers? The war in Yemen is a, is a disaster. The, the United Nations is called uh, the worst humanitarian crisis right now, presently on Earth, and that's saying a lot in our world. But if we now take a look at what Saudi Arabia has been doing in Yemen, and the pressure is put on Saudi Arabia to say, "You look, you can't keep, with U.S. cooperation, actual f- cooperation in the air, you can't keep carrying on the kind of war which is so horrendously uh, Uh, affecting the people of Yemen, now there's actually a move towards something like a ceasefire. So at least we're focusing on Yemen, in which Saudi Arabia is playing such a prominent role as a result of the Khashoggi murder.
0: Uh, Wow, you hit one domino, you you have to be careful what happens to the rest. Could this just end up being, and the message at the end of all of this, just be more careful when you're knocking people off? Like at the end of the day, don't be doing it in an embassy. I mean, that's really what's going to happen here, isn't it?
1: Well, as a, just a footnote, how is it that Turkey knows what's going inside on inside <laughs> a consulate, and yeah. it's providing where we started yeah. a tape that our prime minister knows about? Yeah. Uh, that's a, a you can't you can't be taping inside of a uh, that's the Vienna Convention, and we're all protected by that. Otherwise, our diplomats can et cetera, et cetera. Now that's a, a footnote really into the the broader picture, it's highly likely that uh, there will have to be some token action taken by Saudi Arabia that's sufficient to allow uh, business as usual, more or less, to resume. But there's a definite uh, implication here that Saudi Arabia has been weakened by this, no matter how it turns out. Uh, they're, they're now, they're, they're so blackened by this, and the reform movement inside Saudi Arabia is now probably going to be a tainted because of the role of the, the crown prince. And that those reforms were essential, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but they didn't include political reforms, and that was missed by a lot of people. We, we don't know where all of this will go. The pr- probability is that um, we all will be paying attention, I hope, to the two things I mentioned, the culture of impunity in Yemen. Protection of journalists, I think, is much higher on the agenda right now. And that be, may possibly be as much as we're going to get out of this,
0: this disaster. Do you think we're going to learn any more than we don't already know? Well, the Turks keep releasing things. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly. But possible. I mean, will any of that surprise anyone?
1: Uh, it may disgust us. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah. There, there's well. more horrible things that might be released. Turkey, again, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not content with the analysis I've seen and my own knowledge of the area that we fully understand what Turkey's uh, game is in this case, and and it is a game, and it's a game of geopolitics. But the bottom line is that a journalist was was tortured and murdered uh, for speaking out, and that the culture of impunity allowed that to happen, and that culture of impunity was resting on a long-standing de facto deal between the rest of the world and the Middle East. We need your oil. We need your your help on certain geopolitical things and all those states that the West created after the end of the First World War, which we just were talking about earlier, all those states which were paid no attention to, art of, you know, they were artificially drawn and they're held together by strongmen. They can do anything you want inside as long as we get your oil and your cooperation on some of our geopolitical interests. Will this affect that long-standing deal? And I suspect it won't.
0: Hmm. Elliot Tepper has been with us, emeritus professor, political science, Carleton University. Fascinating discussion as always, Elliot. Thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Certainly, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.